This is part two of my conversation with artist and designer Rachel Burke. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vania Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. So, Rachel, a big part of your work, your portfolio, your gallery, your Instagram is tinsel garments, these beautiful frocks and dresses. And just they're like, like you're wearing magic. They're made out of tinsel. They're handmade, hand sewn by you. And also you style them so beautiful. No wonder celebrities like Kesha, Mindy Culling. Hello, did I read the other day that Beyonce's stylist called you? I mean, <laughs> Tell me about these tinsel garments. Look, yeah, for me, it's like you said, it's trying to create a dream. Like working with tinsel and that sort of thing to me is like working with magic. And when I was talking about earlier, finding Frankie magazine and Lula magazine many years ago, one of the things I noticed that brought photography to life and the images that I was just so in love with from these editorials had these incredible garments that just looked like magic. And throughout my whole practice and design practice of making clothes, I've always been trying to capture this essence of nostalgic dreaminess, I guess, um, because not only do I love making clothes, but I also love putting an image together and taking hopefully nice photos to show my work. So when I came to making tinsel garments, I very early on realized that I had maybe made something quite special just because I loved it so much. Um, and the reaction of people when I saw them either whether themselves or I wore one of the tinsel outfits was just so extreme. Like the excitement from people when they see a fun tinsel outfit is just next level. I realized that I was onto something special and it just made me want to continue pushing and pushing the design and the making of them to to what it is today, I guess, which is something that is coveted by celebrities and things like that, which is so amazing, but also just everyday people as well celebrating um, events and weddings and birthdays, which I think is so cool. Can I tell you something on that note? So I have, this is like a funny human all around the world story. So yeah. uh, last year, in I went to I, LA for a women's event. The event finishes, I go to the bathroom, and in line, I meet this lovely lady called Hannah, and we started just talking about our love for color, and it was just like really cute, and we follow each other on Instagram, and then that was it. And then last holiday season, I I stumble upon her in a shop in Portland, she took an impromptu trip to Portland because she was fresh off a really bad breakup. And okay. then she tells me that she has this plan as a way of self-care. She's mm. going to book herself a photo shoot. Like that was her catharsis activity for the breakup. And she orders one of your tinsel jackets and she wears it for the photo shoot. 
It's, oh my god! It's amazing. And then for the photo shoot, she used some of those pictures to start this postal mail list, and she used some of those photos from that photo shoot to send people a postcard. I thought it was so empowering, and I wanted—I don't know if she told you what the purpose of this jacket was, but. It was just like really magical for her, really powerful. Oh, I love that. I love these stories. It's so crazy. That's that's glorious. That's exactly what I want from these. And that's what I love about them is that people wear them and they feel themselves, you know, and they're so extra and over the top that I have a little warning that I send out sometimes. I'm like, introverts beware because these jackets are a conversation starter. It's so funny because any night that I've worn one of these pieces out, whether it's a tinsel dress or a jacket, I always have the best night because people come up to you. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I love it. Um, People come up to you and you have all these crazy adventures. You just never know where the tinsel will take you, you know? (laughs) Yes, I love that. You just never know where the tinsel will take you. And then tell me, how is it that these celebrities reached out? Is it their stylist? Do you actually have some contact with them? Do they send you pictures? Like how? Tell me, I want to know about this. Oh, I'm actually like, I'm so annoying on Instagram because, and also I'm annoying because I, like you said earlier with delegation, like I don't delegate, I make everything myself and therefore I don't do any of this like product seeding or like giving things away to celebrities for free or, you know, all that influencer stuff. Ugh, gross. I just hate it all. Um, and because I'm making the stuff, it just wouldn't be sustainable for me. Of so course. if someone, a celebrity wants one, they really have to like, I guess, you know, nail me down for it so usually I'll just get an Instagram DM and basically if I like the celebrity then I'll I'll make them one but (laughs) um wonderfully it's been I've been really lucky that people will usually still pay for them and it's dependent on whether I really love the celebrity whether I'll do a freebie like for um I made some things for the RuPaul's Drag Race I don't know if you watched that yes Uh, yes 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 um But uh, yeah, honestly, all these um, requests just come through my Instagram mainly or I'll get an email. Like I I did some stuff for Drew Barrymore. That was like her stylist emailing. And it was the same with Beyonce. Her daughter wanted a jacket and that was just contacted through her stylist on Instagram. And yeah, so it varies between Instagram or email, which is crazy. It just shows the power of the internet. Like I I made a chair for Miley Cyrus and that was just again. Yeah. This again on Instagram, that was so funny because, oh my God, the logistics of sending a chair to LA, not only the logistics, but the expense is insane. And I just had no, no understanding of that before, before that. But it's so funny because I live in this really small little suburb in Brisbane and, you know, I'm making my cups of tea and just sitting with my dog. And then next minute I'm talking about Miss Knowles and sending something to Blue, you know? It's just oh, so weird. Oh, my God. So when was the first time that you made a tinsel dress or a jacket? Like, how how did talk to me about your your brain engineering, your creative process, and how, how why, when? <laughs> as I said, like, my love for, like, embellishment and bedazzling and that sort of stuff very much started off as, like, a oh, I'm covering things up. I'm trying to hodgepodge things together and make things look shinier than they are. But as I got better and my skills improved, that just developed into like a genuine love and um, I guess more of a prowess with the materials that I was using. And constantly, I feel like with my work over the years, I've just like pushed through to like 
like experimenting with something and then taking it to the next level, hopefully like with pom-poms, like I'll experiment them in one way and then I'll push and try and see where else I can take it, whether that's a pomogy or making a giant pom-pom or something bigger. Like I'm never just done. I always feel like there's like magic to be found if you kind of like push through with something. Um, And to me, that's what the same thing happened with tinsel. I remember I made like a very, very basic tinsel jacket just out of some leftover Christmas rope tinsel once. (laughs) And that was just for a photo shoot that I was doing. It was so funny. There was this gorgeous girl in serving me at McDonald's. And I remember it was so funny. She looked like a princess. She had this long, beautiful hair asking me what I wanted at McDonald's. And I was like, oh my God, will you be in a photo shoot for me? And she was like, yes. And then I like went home and made all these like weird tinsel outfits just to do a photo shoot with her. And then from that, I really liked it and was like, okay, let's just keep this on the back burner in my mind. But then a friend of mine here in Brisbane is a singer She's in this band called The Greats and she was performing uh, at Splendor in the Grass, which is a really big festival here in uh, Australia. And uh, she needed like a really great costume. And I'd made some things for her, like I'd made a pom-pom coat for her one year and a big fake flower coat and some things like that. But Splendor in the Grass is such a big deal here that I was like, this costume that I make you needs to be like the best thing ever. Um, So I started experimenting. And again, I had this like box of old Hawaiian raffia skirts and tinsel strips and stuff like that. I remember one afternoon I had been trying to do some designs for her and they'd just not really been working. And I had a spare like just old jacket lying around and I had all this stuff and I just started literally like hot gluing it all in strips on this jacket. And then when I finished, I literally was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like it had (laughs) such cool movement because she's a really great performer and I knew she'd be like jumping around and stuff. And it just had, it was like coming to life when you moved around in it. Uh, and I really loved also just like playing around with the the matte texture of the raffia and the shininess of the tinsel. And it just all came together and she loved it and wore it on stage. And I was lucky enough to watch her perform and I was Oof. just mesmerized because I was like, not I only bet. like I'm a big, big fan and anyway but also I was like living for this costume (laughs) like I sound so on myself but I was really just loving it it's funny too when I make something good I feel like I look at it but it's like I haven't made it it's like someone else has made it that's how I feel like when I've made something good and I like it it's literally like I feel like there is no connection to me anymore I'm like looking at it as a third party and I'm like yes this is great whoever made that has done a great job oh wait <laughs> good job good job so I <laughs> have two spooky woo-woo. like I'm super like into all that stuff and I really feel like sometimes I don't know there's this like because I've just produced so much work over the years and sometimes I honestly wonder how I've done it and I feel like sometimes I slip into some like weird fugue state where I just make so much stuff but it doesn't feel like I've made it it's really weird I have two questions regarding the tinsel garments one is are they scratchy when you when you wear them or do is are they soft inside they are soft inside absolutely soft soft inside comfort is key (laughs) oh comfort is key yes how many hours does it take you to make one of these dresses or jackets 
So a dress will take a full day, 10 plus hours of sewing because they are really labor intensive. Um, Hence why they're really expensive. And a jacket will take anywhere, depending on how speedy I am, between like two to four hours, um, depending on the complexity of the color. Like if I'm changing colors a lot, it takes a lot longer because you're like cutting. And um, if it's a plain color, it might take a little bit less. Um, So they're very labor intensive. And over the years, I've, I've worked out different skills to overcome like, you know, needles breaking and trying to make them more comfortable. And uh, yeah, that's all oh, because when I um, finally got to the, a day job of like working as a commercial designer, that now really feeds back into my work because I uh, can appreciate things like how can I always be making things better? Like I, I do sometimes look at particularly the things like the tinsel jackets as products that uh, I want to improve for my customer. So if I ever got feedback that like they were too scratchy, I was like, okay, how can I use a softer tinsel? How can I make a nicer lining? Or initially I used to hot glue all the tinsel on, which I'm so sad for anyone who bought one of those jackets. Um, (laughs) But now I sew them all and I, they're just so much better than they were. And that just shows too like time and practice and pushing through just always has such a positive impact on the work and that's why I now have such faith in that process too and why I um keep doing it because I can see the value in following through on something the world needs to be tinselized so just keep I, at it know, Rachel, I keep at it <laughs> I love the concept of bad art night I think oh, yes. it's so fun it's freeing it's refreshing and it's just you know it's it I feel like as we grow up and even if we if you're not grown up like there's this um expectation that art you know if you're making something like oh it should be pretty or yeah you know so tell us more about how did this bad art nights started these gatherings and yeah why how how do you feel about it how does people feel about it and how do you choose the projects you make Well, I guess it kind of selfishly started as something that I really wanted a space to do myself. Like I felt like there wasn't really anything for me to go to, like an event where I there wasn't this pressure to leave making something that someone else had made and was perfect, you know, um, like doing a macrame class and leaving with the same macrame that everyone has made, you know, like, yes. I don't know. Um, or, and, or like going and doing a class like that and just feeling like you're not very good at it or that yours doesn't look as good as the person sitting beside you. And I kind of wanted to like maybe even celebrate that feeling, like the idea that if you make something that's a bit crappier than someone else, maybe it's even better than someone else's because it's just a bit ugly. And I guess I, I I love celebrating in my own work and like I guess it's just something visually that I enjoy in artwork that I like. I love ugly stuff like (laughs) hodgepodge sculptures and things like I love abstract art and things that look like, you know, when people are like, oh, a three-year-old could have done that, I'm like, love it. It's amazing (laughs) (laughs) because I'm like they've captured something, you know, they've captured youth or they've captured something special and ugly that maybe no one else could have done. Again, going back to that idea that just because they've made it, it's special. So I guess I kind of wanted a space to encourage myself to make things in that free kind of way and then also come together with other people to do it and thereby cultivating a little bit of a community around this idea of not 
necessarily having to make perfect things. So uh, when I set the projects, I guess I'm doing things that I think people will hopefully enjoy or that I think will kind of act as a bit of a blank canvas for when people come and make something. So for example, when I did, I did a project that was soft clay vessel making and that just involved people bringing along a jar or any kind of um, vessel and then decorating it with soft clay and I I liked that project because you can kind of take it in whatever direction the surface design that you do like just there's nothing dictated it the the classes don't start in any way with like a finished project product and me saying hey this is how you make it I literally am like here are all the materials make something something. um (laughs) Yeah. And often I'll be like, and it's so funny because people always make things that are like really good. But I think that it's just because there's no pressure. People can just be free. And whether they make something that's deemed good or bad, it's just about having fun and and kind of celebrating the process as opposed to the result necessarily. I just love this concept and I haven't seen it here in town. Would it be okay Mm -hmm. for one night in honor of you? I host a bad art night. Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that it's a, I think Bad Art Night, because I've heard other people refer to like these gatherings. I think I actually even first heard about like this concept of bad art and like celebrating on, there's this really great podcast. You might listen to it, The Jealous Curator. Oh yeah. Um, Danielle Chris, yeah. I love her. Um, I'm pretty because I loved her podcast and I'm pretty sure she talked about getting together with some friends and having a glass of wine and just like making free art and not having any pressure to do it and I've heard like other people like say this kind of concept and I was like yeah like I I certainly don't I wouldn't be like no you can't do it like absolutely (laughs) um even even with apology when people say like oh can I host an apology workshop like go for gold like I, I think these things are to be shared and that's why I like sharing the DIYs and even just sharing these events and things, hopefully to exactly that encourage people to do it themselves because they can, it's accessible. I love it. I'll let you know and I'll tag you when it happens because seriously, I think we need more of these kind of spaces. Sometimes we need outer permission because we are so hard on ourselves that we can't give ourselves permission to make something shitty, you know, like something that's crappy, something that doesn't have to be pretty or functional just make things and and like let flow and that's the funny thing I think it's like like you just said sometimes it just needs someone to set up the space to give it a title like and and off you go like sort of thing just setting up the little community around doing it and once it's it's set up like it's so much fun and so worth it in all of your craft adventures, what is your favorite tool or resource? I just am looking so longingly at this pair of scissors next to me. <laughs> I think honestly, like, yeah, just my humble pair of scissors because I can trim a pom-pom, I can cut my tinsel, I can make a collage. Like who am I without my scissors? I just don't even know. Maybe that's a really boring answer. And then in terms of like my best resource, I would say I, I am just obsessed with books and I would always encourage people to go offline and go to a library, go to a bookshop, um, flip through old magazines and that sort of thing. I feel like my brain just comes alive when I 
look at tactile things. And then on the same token of book loving, I am a huge diary keeper um, and have always done that and have found that to be like such an invaluable companion to my art practice because just as I love books because they're tactile, I love a diary because it's like my tactile brain. It's a safe space where I can store images or reflect or say things that no one's ever going to hear. And it always is so funny to look back on later and see like the links that have led from old to new work. What is a toy that you always wanted but never had? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to say a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm like, I was such a spoiled kid, but I just never got a Cabbage Patch doll. And I remember being weirdly jealous of all my friends who had them, but I obviously never articulated this to my parents because I'm sure they would have gotten me one. But I'll, even though I think it's funny, my mum actually didn't love buying me dolls because she didn't want to encourage me to have a baby like as a teenager. Oh. <laughs> so she didn't want to buy me like baby dolls. So maybe that's why I didn't get a Cabbage Patch Kid doll because they were too baby-like. Look at me now, mum. I've got my own Cabbage <laughs> Patch Kid. <laughs> what was your first dollar ever earned? Oh, oh my goodness. This is a good one. I was going to say my first job was as a Christmas bauble painter, which now <laughs> seems very relevant. So, you know, I would like write people's names on with glue and then dust it with glitter. Oh. So that was my first job working at a department store here, um, being the Christmas ornament painter. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was when I was about 16. But my first dollars ever earned, this is so cheeky, me and my sister, when we were little, my grandparents would take us to these fancy car shows because they had this old restored Valiant car. And me being a really cheeky, sassy entrepreneur saw these car shows as a, as a space for potentially earning a buck or two. So I remember there were all these free postcards around the city. I don't know if you guys have that. This is so cheeky of me. And I would take all these free postcards and take them to the car show and I would sell them. <laughs> <laughs> so I would sell them with my sister and I would probably honestly tell some sob story like, oh, I lost something and I'm trying to raise money to make oh it. Oh, my this God. Is so this bad. is so funny. I'm such a cheeky kid you don't even know. And I was like, great. And we would think like, you know, because it would sell them for like a dollar each or something. And we would leave with like $40. And I just thought, that oh, was my the God, best thing ever. I was like, free money. Yes, <laughs> free money. <laughs> what would be your dream collaboration? Hmm. Dream collab. Gosh, it would probably be with some very like powerful female musician like um, Bjork or Karen Oof. O making um really special for one of those performances. Oh my god, you and Bjork? Um, would that uh, would be mind blowing. Yeah. Either that or like collaborating with um someone to I don't know, do like a really cool immersive installation. Even if it was like an artist like that, that would be amazing. I also have some real girl crushes on people like Tavi Gevinson and Petra Collins. Um being able to work with them would be would be a real dream. That is so cool. What is a moment when you feel magical? Probably, probably when I'm, gosh, weirdly like editing photos <laughs> and like seeing, because I, like I said, I really love photography and like seeing my things that I've made 
placed in like this weird reality where I've kind of made a bit of a dream. And so when I'm editing photos and or going through an editorial that I've done and the dream has kind of been realized, I do feel a bit magical. Like I've created this world that, and when I'm happy with a photo shoot, it's because I feel like it fits into my dream world and it, it's like magic. Um, and it's just kind of like symbolizes everything coming together from the location to the work to the person who's wearing them. Um, yeah, that's when I feel like a bit powerful and a bit magic. Yeah. Mm. That's why I love Instagram because to me that is a fusion on the on a daily basis of what I love about um, my practice, which is taking really beautiful, like hopefully good photos of work um, and sharing them and curating this kind of ongoing gallery of, of my work, which is why Instagram is so great and why I love looking at other people's work on that platform too. I know. Instagram, I mean, now that it has tons of sponsored content, it's it's. Uh, oh, yeah, I find gross. that annoying, but yeah. it is my visual happy place. What is the best advice someone gave you? Look, this is maybe a little bit dark, but it was really good advice and has followed me through. I had one of my first jobs as a designer. I had a pretty sassy boss and she once told me when I first brought in my collection and I remember I think because I was a bit nervous when I was presenting my work for them to buy, she could tell that I was a bit green around the gills, but she did say to me, she was like, a word of advice, if you let me take advantage of you, I will. And she's like, remember that. And I remember that being so shook to my core at the time because I was like, take advantage of me. Like, what does she mean? And I guess she kind of meant like, if I don't value my work, because I think I, I probably undervalued a lot of the things that I was selling and stuff like that. If I don't value my work, no one else is going to. And if I'm selling my work cheaply, people are just going to buy it. Or if she, if I let her take advantage of me, which I absolutely did at one point, And that was a very big learning curve at the time as well. Basically don't be naive and value your work and back yourself sort of thing because if you don't no one else is going to so you've kind of got to be your own personal hero so yeah that was good business advice I guess because I definitely learned the hard way about getting things in writing and contracts and not being so naive because I was quite naive for a long time about the business side of everything that I was doing and through learning I can see whether that's like getting your taxes in order and stuff like that the benefits of not putting your head in the sand and letting any kind of circumstance like that take advantage of you. That's a great reminder. Thank you for that, that we need to value our work and our time and our worth. Are you familiar with grief or like what is your relationship with grief? Oh, wow. That is a, that is, I was not expecting that question. Look, I've been very lucky in my life to not have lost um, anyone close to me yet, I guess. The closest would have been my grandpa, but um, I, not fortunately, but it was over a very long stretch of time. So I had the um, benefit of saying goodbye and stuff like that. But um, grief, look, I'm going to be really honest. Um, the beginning of my coming home from, <laughs> from having a baby is probably the closest thing that I would say has been my experience with grief, mainly because I have two dogs, Daphne and Daisy, who you mentioned earlier. And when I got home from the hospital, my dog Daphne reacted really badly to the baby. Like she was trying to nip at him and it was just a complete disaster. And I just had such a meltdown like I've never had before because I think in that moment I kind of realized 
like I said earlier, how much I loved this baby um, and how terrified I was that Daphne was going to hurt him. And then also in that moment that I might have to make a really difficult decision um, about Daphne. That has been the hardest thing since coming home because Daphne's had to stay since I got home with my husband's mum. And it's been awful because I just feel so guilty and this sense of absolute grief because we've had a trainer come in and we've done all this stuff and it's just not working so far. And I feel heartbroken about it. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Rachel. And thank you for sharing this because this is one of the reasons why I created the podcast. Because I wanted to talk about the real stuff, you know, not just the glossy, uh, fun, superficial stuff, but like the real shit that goes I mean, on yeah. in our daily and lives. I haven't put it on Instagram or anything like that because we don't really know like what's going to happen yet. Like we might be able to come back together or something. You know, it's honestly like that is life. Like, and it's like that's what's going on behind the scenes of like glossy pictures, I guess, is like real stuff. So moving on to another subject, could you share an unpopular opinion? Oh, that I have? Yes. Oh, uh, look, maybe this is polarizing. This is a little bit more weird, oh, like just a bit more chill than my last answer, but coriander. I hate it. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, yeah, the herb. I it To me, it tastes like dirt it tastes like the worst thing ever and then so many people say to me that it's like the most delicious thing um I love it yeah yeah I'm like no it's so many yeah my mom is like I love coriander everyone around me loves coriander I'm like I hate it it just tastes so bad to me someone we were at um where were we at well we were like at a house party a, a dinner party and there was no I don't, re I don't actually remember if there was any coriander in any of the dishes, but someone said that they hated it. And I was like, no, how I love it. And I'm Mexican. We put coriander like cilantro on everything. And they're like, no, it tastes like vomit. And I'm like, yeah. whoa. It's so coriander, it's to the point where I didn't actually know a, like coriander was a herb until I was like a teenager and I got this Thai salad and I remember taking it back to the shop and being like, this salad is off. Like, it's like, <laughs> is there mold in the salad? And they were like, maybe you just don't like coriander. And because it was like mainly coriander and I, I, like all the pennies dropped at once because I it was a consistent taste where I had just thought that the food was off, but it was just coriander. It's just yeah. coriander. It's, yeah. it's fine. Well, yeah. that's a uh, thank you for yeah. that. No worries. What do you wish you had known when you started out your business as a designer and an artist? Hmm. I just, I more would have liked to have known this mainly because I, it wouldn't have really changed anything, but it would have just made me view things a bit differently. When I first got started making things, I thought that fashion labels were fashion labels and that the designer literally made all the clothes themselves. Me too. Like, I thought that yeah. too before. You're not <laughs> oh alone. Oh my God. For so I thought long. the same. Yeah. And I remember I only found out when I was probably like, a year into doing my handmade stuff and I was doing a fashion show and it was like a big group show and uh, I went to visit the person who was running it and he said to me, he was like, oh, you look really stressed. What's wrong? And I was like, oh, my God, I have to go home and like finish like some hems and finish, finish off the details of something. Uh, and he was like, what? 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, like I've got to go finish the clothes. And he was like, you make your own stuff? And I was like, well, obviously, like I'm a designer. And he was like, oh, most, like everyone else in the show has just had their stuff made. And I remember being so confused because it was like, and again, all the pennies dropping. I was like, what? Like, you're, like people aren't making their own things. Obviously, I learned about production and how things are made. Also, because I then went on to work as a designer for a retailer. So I understand. And I've now been to China like 20 times. So I very much understand now. But when I first got started, that was just the most foreign idea to me uh, that a designer wouldn't make their own things. I also thought the same about artists when I would see these giant Jeff Koons sculptures oh or, yes. you know, all of or other things like giant sculptures, especially giant sculptures. Yeah. You know, I only worked that out this year because I got contacted by uh, like this place called Urban Art Projects in Queensland um, and they were like, oh, we want to like talk to you about scaling up some sculpture to like put in a public place. And I was like, yeah, 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 cool. Um, but then when I went to the meeting, it was like a full factory production house for artists and they were <laughs> yeah. like, oh, we'll take like, your idea and then we'll produce the work on a scale And I was so confused because I was like, I just thought, like you said, Jeff Koons and all these people yes. <laughs> were making this stuff. And that's why they were so famous because they were like, obviously, exactly, themselves because they made this so thing hard. Exactly. I thought that they were like, yeah, just so incredible that that's why they were famous because they'd managed to do this stuff. I was so shook to my core, to be honest. Um, and then I went on a huge. <laughs> googling rampage and I think I watched a Netflix show too about production artists um and it's crazy it's that that's a whole nother um it's a whole nother podcast like I have a lot of feelings about that stuff I, um I know yeah. it's 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 big it's yeah big. yeah We, we'll save that for another, I'm like, time, but another I'm, time but I'm so glad I mean I'm glad to let you know that you're not alone but okay. I also feel less alone because I felt When I when I realized, I thought that people were kidding. I'm like, no, yeah. you, you can't naive? be real. I felt naive. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, like, I feel stupid. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. oh wait, what? Yeah, but then I felt a bit mad too because I was like, I feel like I've been tricked. I thought, yeah, because they don't actually yeah. touch the like, art. You can't put your name on something that like some skilled engineer has created. You should be like, oh, Jeff Koons times. Bob who made the artwork or Belinda who made the artwork like yeah it shouldn't just be you I feel like it's cheating in a way but again another podcast another podcast yeah when is your ego checked hmm uh well at the moment when I get put on maybe oh <laughs> So that's very relevant to now. Um, uh, anything baby related is probably checking my ego because it's just there's no place for ego with babies. But in general, oh gosh, I'm not really sure. Probably like we were talking about before when anything real life happens that, and then you kind of get brought back down to earth or, you know, your mum tells you off or something. <laughs> What has been the worst job that you've ever had or something that you don't want to do ever again? Hmm. Uh, I would say, look, I, I pretty consistently worked in retail, but I, I did have spend a couple of years working at a department store um, just in clothing. It was so boring, like the most boring thing on earth. I never want to do it again. Just standing for eight hours, like manning a table 
and not you're, you're not allowed to check your phone, you're not allowed to do anything, mm. you just have to stand. And just on those days when it's so quiet and there are no customers but you have to like look alive, so boring and you feel like your life is literally dribbling out of you. Never oh, want to do that again. Just the, I'd never want to do any job again where I'm so bored and like I'm clock watching. Like that's one thing I love about, you know, working for myself. Like there's not enough hours in the day. But when I was working like just boring jobs where I was standing around, I feel like time stood still. And I hate that feeling of just like wasting time, like mm-hmm. spending eight hours where you're just not using your brain or not producing something. It's just nightmarish to me. What is a book that changed your life? Okay, uh, definitely I would say just from an empowerment point of view when I was a teenager, there's this series by Tamora Pierce, Song of the Lioness, and it's about this girl who pretends to be a knight um, <laughs> so that she can go and like fight like all the boys and all that sort of stuff. And I just remember reading that as a kid and feeling really like I wanted to be powerful and like I wanted to be just as good as everyone else and strive for greatness, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that sounds a bit cheesy. The other one as a grown up would have to be The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. read that. Do you do your morning pages? Yes, I do. I haven't been doing them lately because uh, when is the morning? You have I a baby, even, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> and like the baby is my morning pages, but I do do my morning pages and I love it. And I, I totally find everything she says about discovery that comes with the morning pages to be totally accurate. I really produce better work when I do them. Awesome. What is your favorite product ever? Oh, my God. So my favorite product Look, I'm going to say, oh, I don't know if this is good enough. I don't know if I'm delivering. Look, right now these days, I We're love... delivering so much and so on point, so don't worry about that. I'm like, I love my Dyson hairdryer so much because I have a fringe and I feel like if I didn't have my hairdryer, that is so amazing that I would, have a, I would not be able to have a full fringe. <laughs> like, it's expensive, but it was a gift from my husband and what a stunning gift that he gave me because he has allowed me to have good hair 90% of the time. Yeah. Oh, that is so sweet of him. Thank you. Rachel, thank you so, so, so much from the bottom of my heart for agreeing to be on Magical Humans. You are such a magical human. And I feel so honored to be on the receiving end of your stories and your experiences it's just been a magical time. Thank you for thank you for your time and for being so open. No worries. Thank you so much for having me and for deeming me as a magical human. That is such an honor. So kind. Um, and best of luck with all your art practicing too. Uh, keep making great things. Thank you. And where can people find you? Uh, you can just find me on Instagram at imakestagram or at apology and you can find my goodies to buy sometimes at shoprachelburke.com. This is what I'm taking away from my conversation with Rachel. Number one, apologizing like crying makes you feel better. It only takes a little vulnerability and a little bravery. Number two, a little embellishment goes a long way and brightens everyone's day. Number three, please remember that whatever you make is good enough and important. 
because it's proof that you exist and you're living in this world on this time. Number four, don't be a hero. Make choices that are good for you. Self-care is the best care. Number five, give yourself permission to make bad art. It's fun, it's freeing, and allows people to be themselves. Not everything you make has to be pretty or functional. And number six, value yourself and your work. You are enough and your intuition is always right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby.